At the beginning of the liturgical year, the first Sunday of Advent, I pointed out that uh, primarily we would read uh, here from the Gospel of St. Matthew, uh, with some exceptions, uh, and today we have one of those exceptions. Uh, part of it is the Church doesn't want us to launch right into uh, ordinary time too quickly without reflecting on what we've just celebrated with the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord this year. That was transferred, of course, to Monday because we and the United States and uh, some other countries have done this as well, transfer Epiphany from the 6th to the Sunday um, after the 1st. So, uh, long story with that. But uh, there's a curious thing that happens in the Gospel according to St. John, and that is we do not hear of the actual baptism of Jesus. It seems to be implied if you uh, look at the Synoptic Gospels and, and compare it, in the Synoptic Gospels, if you remember, Jesus uh, comes forth in, the, in Matthew's Gospel. There's this dialogue of, of uh, you should, I should be baptized by you, and the Lord saying, let it be now for the sake of righteousness, is his identification with us as human, uh, that he enters into those waters. But John doesn't have the actual baptism, but rather the result the Spirit coming upon him and the voice saying, this is my beloved Son. We don't hear about that voice either, by the way. But the promise on whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. But again, if you know the Gospels well enough, and hopefully you do at least this, this point, you might be a little confused, especially in the Gospel according to St. Luke. We hear that John the Baptist is the son of Elizabeth, who is a kinswoman of Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. We hear of the visitation, how Mary, after the Annunciation, was told that, behold, your kinswoman has conceived. She was thought to be barren in six months. And Mary rushes out to be with Elizabeth, is there. Uh, we can assume that she was there for the birth and the naming, just simply because uh, that would work out to the three months and then return home. That John the Baptist recognized the voice of the mother of his Savior, in the womb of his mother. And how is it that John the Baptist then can forget? How is it that John the Baptist, this is the one whom, uh, who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me? I did not know him. How can John the Baptist not have known? Well, part is perhaps in the ordinariness of their lives together, if they, if they spent any time together, as sometimes cousins will, Maybe John simply forgot. Maybe uh, something else happened, and I, I personally think this perhaps happened. In the midst of busyness, in the midst of his life, he just let it go. After all, I, I would point out for us as kind of a thought experiment, pay attention to all the data points that you're ignoring right now. Do you hear the air conditioning system? working? Do you hear cars going by? Do you hear the children, I don't want to see squawking, but making sounds? This is a beautiful thing. I am not upset about this. Do, do, you hear, uh, do you hear the breathing, your own breathing, or the breathing of the neighbor around you? To the point that you might want to get a Kleenex out and say, blow your nose. Or, or are you aware of the temperature here? Are you aware of the hardness of the seat, probably? 
Are you, we, we spend our lives with thousands and millions of data points every single second. And we've learned, as human beings, to ignore a lot of them. Now, if something suddenly were changed, if suddenly we had uh, somebody's pager going off because of a fire call, that we would wake up and pay attention. Or if a fire truck happened to be going by, we'd pay attention. Or if Deacon Bruce would suddenly start on fire, we'd pay attention. Oh, no, I'm joking about that. We, we, you know, if something's odd, we start to pay attention. But in the ordinariness of things, we just ignore it. And perhaps St. John did that. It's just the ordinary background of his life. He's just simply focused on the mission to prepare the way for the Lord and not cut up in, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Until he sees the Spirit come down upon Jesus. And then everything changes. From this point on in the Gospel of St. John, we hear John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb. We hear him pointing his disciples, Go ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or is there another? We hear him saying and, and, and challenging people, because now Jesus Christ is even closer. The, the, the salvation that God has promised is even closer than it was when Jesus was first incarnate. But John states, and I need to remind you of this, the man coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. That doesn't make sense unless we understand who Jesus is. It doesn't make sense unless, of course, if we've read the prologue of St. John, which I encourage you to do, it's some of the most beautiful theology in the scriptures, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we hear, and it's our Alleluia verse today, the Word became flesh and has dwelt among us. We hear that promise that he has given us grace in place of grace. But this Word, this Word was eternal with God the Father, who took on flesh, who became flesh for us. He existed before any of us. He existed before there was a before. And he takes on flesh and begins to exist in time. This is part of the reason the church wants us to meditate again on this verse, that we not jump so quickly out of the Christmas season, not jump so quickly out of it that we forget, because the Christmas season hopefully was the extraordinary thing that wakes us up, that reminds us something important happened 2,000-some years ago as Jesus Christ is born for us that our Savior is born for us, that he's changed us, changed us and made us saints. Isn't that what we hear in today's second reading? They were called to be holy. That St. Paul talking, of course, to the Corinthians as a community, but he's talking to each one because the community is made up of members. Each member is called to be holy. I'm sure you've heard it before, but you are called to be holy. You're called to be a saint. Well, so often we think that means we're going to be weird. I used to have the idea that being a saint would mean that I swing off the church chandeliers. Well, thank God they're high enough because I'm afraid of heights. I'm not going to try it. But that isn't what being a saint is. And even in our first reading, we have uh, Isaiah telling the, the Israel that you, it's too little for you to be called a servant as a nation. You are to be a light and what's good for the nation is good for each individual in the nation, each individual in the church we can apply. It's too little for us to be servants. We're called to be something greater. 
Again, I'm caught on the, the uh, quote of uh, Pope Benedict. The world promises you comfort, but you are not made for comfort. You're made for greatness. And so often we might think, and I have to admit this week as I reflected on that and the, the gospel passage and, and these readings, thought, well, you know, there's nothing extraordinary about my life. I'm not going to be a Mother Teresa. Probably, thank God, I don't want to go to Calcutta. I'm not going to be St. John Paul II or Pope Benedict or Cardinal Pell. I'm not going to be a bishop. Thank God for that. You're probably thanking God even more than I am. I'm fine with just being a country pastor, but there's nothing extraordinary about that. Actually, that's the lie. To be who God has called us to be, even if it seems somewhat ordinary. To be faithful to God to respond to his grace, to live and seek a life of holiness, this is extraordinary. St. John Paul II telling us that there's nothing more extraordinary than an ordinary man and woman loving each other and forming a family. There's nothing more extraordinary. That's how we are light in the world, to be who we are called to be, right in our circumstances, right where we are, and to not let the ordinariness of our life bore us or make us forget, to not let God be part of the background that we just simply ignore, but to pay attention. And I dare see if we try to pay attention to all the ways God is trying to get our attention, if we pay attention to all the ways God is trying to get through to us, we will be overwhelmed. But not in a bad way, not like taking all the sensory information that God has created around us that can overwhelm us, and, and perhaps you've met people that have had sensory overload. It's a horrible, horrible thing for them. There's no such thing as spiritual overload, because when God overwhelms us, it moves us to be better, to be more fully, completely who we are called to be as human beings, to be light to a world that needs our light, to a world that's so dark, so dank, without Christ, to be ordinary, but to be in a way that overwhelms others in a good and holy way, to remind them that God is here, God is loving us, God is calling us, to be like John the Baptist, and from this day forward to say, behold the Lamb of God, behold Christ who redeems us, who saves us, who desires us who wants us to be light.